Hey everyone, and welcome to Behind the Bee Box. I'm your host, Sherry, and I'll be interviewing passionate, courageous people who love what they're doing and are on top of their game. I want to share their journeys, lessons, and tips with you. We also discuss different facets of workplace culture and leadership. Plus, we'll dive a little deeper into thought-provoking topics we think you'll love. I truly hope it makes a positive difference to your life, workplace, or business. Thanks for listening. I loved speaking with Shelley for this episode of Behind the Bee Box, because as you'll see, Shelley doesn't sugarcoat things. She was so open about what it took to build a business from the ground up and her transition from corporate. She is now an author and a leadership trainer and coach who works with leaders to maximize efficiency and build high performance team cultures in organizations of any size. And in this episode, she shares a lot of insightful nuggets from her years of experience in leadership positions, as well as her most recent work with companies. I met Shelley a few months back and she's now a Brainy Box customer. I've also attended her workshop on leadership and I highly recommend it for those moving into a leadership position or for those who would like more tools and strategies to become great leaders. I also want to take this opportunity to thank you from the bottom of my heart for listening in and taking the time to learn something new. Enjoy. Well, let's kick off with uh, who you are. Um, And the reason why I ask this question all the time is because I want to give people a taste of the person they're about to listen to um, and give them context of where they've come from, who they are, and what makes them them. Okay. Uh, so I am a, I am a ambitious, life living, fun, loving, um, people focused individual. Uh, I have three siblings, um, and a mum and dad that make up a family of six, which I grew up in um country victoria so i and i grew up on a farm so i spent a lot of my childhood on a dairy farm and then mum and dad moved on to an orange orchard so uh my my life i guess has been really molded around hard work and uh family family is really um important Uh, and also i think fairness and and respect for other people so um, aside from that, I'm a wife and I'm a mum and I am a the owner of a, a dog, a German Shepherd puppy, um, who Aww. chews way too many things, including my husband's um, books, which he may not know about right now. But uh, <laughs> now he'll know. <laughs> now he'll know. Um, yeah. So I, I love I love to have have fun and I love bringing fun into all the work that I do. So. Um, very, I don't take things too seriously, but I do believe there are serious issues that need addressed um, and we can do that with humour. And do you think when you were at the farm, were you also involved? Were you helping out with everything? Did, oh, yeah. And that's, that's yeah. probably where your work ethic comes from. 100%, yeah. So um, I remember being on the dairy farm and uh, we we had a dairy that required two people to be in milking the cows at all times. So my dad would often go away um, and do, I think I think I'm a lot like my dad in, he was off kind of um, exploring new opportunities and doing, doing different things outside of farming. And so left my mum 
uh, and and us kids on the farm to keep things going while he was away. So a lot of the time was um, either me or my older sister would milk the cows before school or wow. uh, we would come home and milk the cows after school. Either way, one of us was running into the dairy or out of the dairy uh, either before or after school every day. Um, and it was really just a we've all got to pull together just to survive. So this was when, this was sort of during the, the recession in the nineties. So, um, you know, there was really, really high interest rates and really, really um, low affordability. And so we were, we were <clears throat> living on the breadline. So um, yeah, it just required all of us to kind of chip in. And as a, as a kid, did you feel that or did you just feel like you're all having fun together working? hell no no there was no, I, did, I, I I hated my childhood I really oh. I felt like I was um I felt like I was ripped off I would look at my friends who you know were they played sport and they had fun and and I was at any any opportunity I would be going and having um, sleepovers at my friend's place because they they were treated like kids I think my parents um, we're really good at treating us like adults. And, um, and so I, I really, I just didn't like being a child. I think I had my parents treating me like, an, or expecting me to behave uh, like an adult in a lot of ways, but um, then not giving me the same liberties or freedom that you would get as an adult. So I, I kind of felt like I was being shafted. <laughs> well, well, it's made you a successful person. So maybe, maybe that's, yeah. that's the trick. <laughs> yeah. I mean, when I first joined the workforce, I, I, I worked two jobs. Uh, you know, my first job was, my first paid job was picking strawberries. Um, and then I, and then I moved up and I started working in a roadhouse wow. and then a golf club and then a, a cheese factory. So I've done a lot of hard work, but I've also done a lot of, um, double jobs so right through until I had kids I had two jobs I would do you know corporate contact center work during the day and then I would um, have like a pub job at night so um, oh my goodness so then so then as you were as you were going from being a kid and then kids slash kind of an adult and then going into you know becoming older and getting jobs was there anything outside of your work that you fell in love with that you became passionate about yeah new new experiences new experience very much around experience as opposed to material possessions i didn't need to drive a nice car or live in a nice apartment i just needed to know that something different was going to be happening happening on a regular basis um and it's a little bit of an addiction i think i still carry through to today so i'm the person who you know, will, if I can say, oh, instead of meeting in a room today, let's just go and do it on the, on the grass, on the lawn outside, or, or let's actually, you know, I think one of my coaching sessions, I've got a, a woman I've coached for a couple of years now, um, and I got an opportunity to attend an event, and it was at the time our coaching session was, so I emailed her and I said, I've got you a ticket to this event, this is what we're doing for our coaching session today. That is brilliant. And what, what would you say are some of the really memorable experiences that you've had? In terms of 
my life or yeah so being being someone who's an explorer and loves new things um new experiences what would you say is something that really stands out yeah so i spent a bit over three years traveling uh the uk and europe and probably one of the things that has molded who i am today um is the inability to let others make decisions for me so when i was in the uk and it was night there and or it was night in australia and it was daytime there and i had a decision to make i had to make the decision so i became i learned to be confident with the decisions that i was making without uh input or advice from other people and that was really hard in the beginning because I felt like every idea I needed to run by my mum or my sister or, or my dad. And so in the absence of that, I, and this was before smartphones and before, I think we, I think there was Hotmail. Um, uh, yeah, and, no social media. Um, no, no, there was, um, I think, Hotmail and, and something else, but um, MySpace, I think. Oh, yes, um, yeah. Yeah, uh, but I only ever had access to Hotmail, so I would have to go um, into an internet cafe and book my time and log in and, and do all of that kind of thing, which I would do once a week. But it's all those decisions. And I think you really don't realise how much involvement you get from other people in decision-making until you've got no one to run decisions by and you sort of got to leave it to your own. But it's good. It, I think it's character-building and it really just um, it stops you from blaming anyone else you've got to take accountability and responsibility for everything that you've decided because it was just you so that's probably the biggest thing that I've learned through all of my new experiences yeah wow and and that probably would have helped you so much after you left corporate um, because you were working at ANZ for 10 years and then you started your own business in 2014 was it 2015, yeah. 2015, yeah. So yeah. that transition for you going from corporate, because when you're in a large organisation like that, you're bouncing off everybody all the time um, and you're getting input from people and you're collaborating and you're building up on ideas. So do you think that or how did you go from being in that environment for so long and then starting off out on your own um, with what you're doing mm. today? What was that transition like? Interestingly enough, it wasn't that dissimilar. So I built some really, really good rhythm and discipline in what I was doing. And, and before I left corporate, I was in a leadership role. So I was fairly autonomous. I was given a lot of freedom uh, with regards to the work that I was doing. I had deadlines that I'd committed to that I needed to achieve. And that's not dissimilar to the work that I do now is I commit to doing something and then I make sure I meet them. Um, and so the collaboration and the people has continued. So, but rather than both of us working for the same organization, I now have a much broader network that I can tap into uh, and seek Areas, seek people with different areas of expertise or seek people who have done something similar to me. And so I think the networks and the relationships and the rhythm that I built within the corporate environment 
transition really nicely to working for myself. And often I, I was asked a lot within the first 12 months, do you miss the environment? And I said, I don't feel like I've left because I catch up with the people who inspire me and I make an effort to, to keep in touch with them. And, um, and I'm still learning a lot of new things. Probably the one, the hardest part was the delegation of work that I just you know, didn't have time to do and I didn't particularly like is when I was working for myself, I had to do it and I still do have to do it. So, yeah, do you mean, <laughs> do you mean things that um, you might not be particularly good at or things that you don't know yet where you have to learn and you have to get it done because it's, it ends yeah. with you? Correct. So um, QuickBooks is, is, my, is the thorn in my side. I um, really dislike it. It's, I'm not what is interested it? in What's it. What's that? QuickBooks? The account, accounting software. Oh, I see. I didn't even know what that is. Yeah. 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 So, um, so that's one of the banes of, of my life. But, you know, I could, I could delegate that to someone, but I think that um, it's really important to be across your finances and to know what's coming in and going out and, and just not losing sight of how you're operating. So I keep that and I do that reluctantly. Um, but I definitely miss kind of being able to sort of pass things on to people, but I do have a, an awesome EA now who manages my calendar and um, she's fabulous and she's been a lifesaver. Yeah, that's, yeah, that would be super, super helpful. And so yeah. can you talk to us about how uh, the transition came along for you to start your own business? Like what, what was the journey that led to that? And maybe tell us a little bit about uh, um, what the business is as well, because I'm assuming people know, but maybe talk to us about what you're yeah. doing. <laughs> yeah. So I, my business is really centered around leadership and it's the simple practical application of leadership that I think we miss. I think that we can get caught up in concepts and ideas and visions of what things could be. Um, but what I do is I bring that back to the practical reality of what, what do I need to do day after day to ensure that I am moving towards success and that I'm building a team that is collaborative and efficient and effective. And essentially, how do I stop doing and start being and how do I work smarter and not harder? And so I run a lot of training programs. I do individual coaching. I run workshops and team facilitation days. So there's a broad, a broad mix of uh, what happens within that space. But essentially it is let's build the capabilities of our leaders and let's bring teams together and forward uh, for the success of a business. So that's essentially what I do. How I got to that was I got leadership really wrong in the early stage of my, um, my own journey. And it took three years to get it right again after that. So, um, I fell flat and I didn't realize or didn't know what avenues I had available to me to figure out what, like, I understand what's the wrong way of leading people um, and I'm getting people telling me what I should do, but I actually don't know what that looks like for me, Shelley Flett as the person. Um, and I'd been given a lot of advice when I first moved into leadership, advice that I took on 
face value and I applied and got really wrong because it actually didn't suit my personality and my directness. So mm-hmm. I didn't need, I didn't need to have training around fierce conversations. I needed, I needed to learn about compassion. I needed to learn about um, commitment. I needed to learn about different perspectives. And so um, when I found, when I found the right way to lead for me, I then started coaching people within my organization. I did a, a lot of professional development and I became a little bit obsessed with different ways of doing things and how do we not know this? How does the rest of the world not have access to some of these awesome things that I was learning and figuring out? And so essentially I outgrew the organisation because my pathway had uh, diverted from where I would go if I'd have stayed with the organisation. It was an amazing learning environment, um, super supportive, and I had some absolutely wonderful leaders that I was able to look to as role models and, and still keep in contact with those to today but it was I want to make a bigger difference I want to be able to tap into organizations in, in any industry at any um, size and be able to build capabilities of leaders because I think that's really important and so yeah that's where where I'm at and then so did you start this journey while you were working full-time or did you because you were sort of doing it while you were working and you were implementing these tips and these strategies at work, you kind of already developed what you needed to do when you stepped down on your own. Like how did that transition work from literally being in the corporate environment to, okay, who's going to be my first client? Who am I going to work with? Yeah. So it, funny one. And what I'll tell you, I absolutely do not recommend to, to <laughs> others to follow. So this is one yeah. of those don't do what she did because that's just stupid. Um, I, so what, I, what I did do and, I, and I'm actually grateful that I did it is about um, three years before I left the corporate environment, I went to, I cut my hours to a nine day fortnight. So I had every second Friday where I could work on my own business and explore ideas around what I thought and, and start to put, you know, some, uh, the feelers out and, and explore. And I picked up a couple of clients uh, before I left. So coaching clients before I left um, and started my own business. What I didn't do well and what I would uh, change if I had my time again is I didn't let people know where I was going before I actually left because, because I was a high performer, because I was known for getting things done and because I was uh, well regarded within, within the organisation I had created this naive idea that when I let everyone know that I was going to be leaving and doing my own thing, that everybody would want me and that I wouldn't have time and I didn't want to disappoint. And so I didn't, I didn't tell people, I I kept it to myself and, and I waited until I left. And then I made this big announcement that, you know, I've left and this is what I'm doing. And then nothing happened. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, where are all my friends? (laughs) Where did all the people go? Uh, yeah, and so yeah, it was it was crickets, and so then I spent the next probably eighteen months having hundreds of cups of tea with people and sharing ideas and exploring opportunities, and I got bits and pieces of work, but I really quickly realised that I had under underestimated my 
oh, sorry, I had overestimated my brand outside of the organisation I was working in. Yeah. yeah. So it was and I think, pretty, that's, uh, I think that's very, very common, um, yeah. you know, with people because you're in this bubble almost that, you, that you're used to. That's your context. So when you step yes. out of it, that's all you have to think about in a new world is like this was me here and it's gonna it's gonna be the same like what else really do you have to pull from in terms of examples yeah. in your life um but that's a really uh, thank you for sharing that and being really honest because <laughs> it obviously takes a while to build up a business and a brand that's successful that you can live off you know and be comfortable with so that's really yeah. thank you for sharing it that's really awesome um and yeah. then thinking about your business and what i really like about it is the practicality of it and talking about how you use these concepts and these strategies in your everyday and talking about it in really simple terms and being able to share it where people can be like oh like it, it's actually I can do this it's easy these are the steps I need to take um, so some of those things that I picked up when I was in your workshop when you invited me there are a few mm. that I thought were really interesting and I wanted to um, talk to you about it maybe you could share a little bit more for the audience so sure. um when we talk about the the person the whole person concept yes. where you've got when you've got that iceberg and all that you usually but all that you see are behaviors and underneath that there's a few other layers that lead to someone's behavior so could you talk about what that iceberg essentially is the whole person mm. concept and also why it's so important when it comes to perspective and why perspective mm. in an organization is really important yeah so the iceberg or the whole con person concept um, is based around the theory that all we see aside from the physical person is the behavior that they display and we make assumptions and judgments and we come to conclusions based off behaviors alone uh, what is really important to understand about other people is that below the surface is all this other stuff that's going on so what drives our behaviours are our thoughts and our feelings and what drives our thoughts and our feelings are our values and our beliefs. And so what's particularly important for leaders is to start to look towards the values and the beliefs that are underpinning the thoughts and the feelings and then driving the behaviour. I think one of the things that we get wrong as leaders is that we try to address the behaviour and we try to change the behaviour without changing what's below or without considering and accommodating and understanding and appreciating what's below the surface and, and where the values are, you know, being violated or where there's not alignment to the values. So um, I, I love the concept. I love the whole person concept. I think when I started to really get my head around, ah, oh, we're more than just our behavior and actually who am I judging or how am I making an opinion around someone else? Is it because of their behavior? And then if it is, when has there been a time where I have behaved badly that when I consider where it's come from and the thoughts and the feelings and the underpinning values that were driving that behavior, um, whether it was well-intended. So I have this, um, I have this theory that everyone is well-intended and it's something that I learned from, my coach and my trainer and 
you know, she's, she sort of holds that as the, the highest um, purpose for what she does. And, and I've taken that on is when I'm looking at someone and I'm seeing behavior that isn't aligned with what my expectation would be, then rather than moving to judgment, I become quite curious around so what's going on for the other person i see the behavior and i can make it mean a number of things but ultimately i don't know what that means until i explore it a little and i think that being able to explore that is really important but acknowledging you can't explore that if you don't have a level of trust and you don't have good relationships with a person to start with um, i think it takes openness and an element of vulnerability to get below the surface and to start to consider around what's important um, so when we do it really does open up perspective and it and it gives us permission to remain curious and open rather than be closed and, and fixed and think that there's something wrong with the other person and that we must do this or we will lose control of them or, or what are, there's so many different scenarios that I work with leaders on um, so, and so one of the things, yeah. Oh no, sorry, continue. Yeah, no. So one of the things that I, that I really encourage them to do is go, is to become curious. Yeah. And when it comes to that first step of having trust with that person and forming that good relationship to actually get under the surface, you mentioned vulnerability. What, what does vulnerability look like between say a manager and someone who's reporting directly to them how does the manager become vulnerable to form that relationship I think it's about being human I like at a really basic level is just be yourself um, I think um, if a manager accepts that they are just human and they're imperfect and they get things wrong and they don't they don't need to know everything and then be able to share that with their people so one of the one of the things that i see is uh leaders who feel like they need to know everything about everything and put pressure on themselves and um and they're not up front, so they'll avoid. So often leaders that, aren't, that, that have that pressure on themselves to be everything to everyone, that super human kind of leader, is that when they don't know something, they move to a position of fear. And fear is not open. Fear is very closed. And so the minute the fear kicks in, the, the leader shuts down. And so they'll withhold things, they'll avoid, they will... Um, say things that they don't potentially mean and that doesn't go unnoticed for the people around them so um, vulnerability is just say that you don't know something and and ask the people around you for their help with what their expert um, knowledge is around and tap into that and start to build that the other thing is you know be willing to talk about your personal life I think there's still a lot of leaders who don't want to mix or blur the line between their personal life and their work life. But realistically, we can't keep the two separated. We are one person and we bring some of our personal stuff to work and we take some of our work stuff home. So I think acknowledging, acknowledging that 
life is not smooth sailing 100% of the time and Mm, and I'm just like you and so it's that permission I think to be human yeah definitely I completely completely agree and I never thought about the fear that gets created in the people that can't be human Um, but Mm. it makes it makes complete it makes complete sense that they are feeling like that because they've created this persona almost that's not them at all and if they're not matching up to that then they're scared they're going to be almost caught out for who they are um yeah and so yeah oh sorry go I, I you just made me think about um you know the the whole imposter syndrome oh um, yes yeah which I think is really real and I love the work that Amy Cuddy does around you know your body language shapes who you are but also you know let's be let's be real about this you are just as imperfect as the next person. So embrace it. Yeah, exactly. And when you have formed those relationships and you do feel like you're truly being yourself at work, what are maybe some questions or ways to figure out what values and beliefs people have? How how do you actually discover what that is so that when you're communicating with them, when you're collaborating with them, the way you're behaving is not um, clashing with someone else's values and beliefs. How do you actually get down to that level? Mm, quite easily, actually. Um, so the best question to ask is, um, to, so tell me what's important to you in the context of your career. I'm curious. Um, and then just hear what they have to say and then uh, observe how those values play out in their conversations. So I can tell when someone has uh, a value around a particular thing and it's quite strong because they weave the word into conversations without even knowing it. And so, uh, you know, uh, people who talk about respect and, you know, they disrespected me or it's about respect over here. And so they might drop it in sentences, but noticing when you've heard it a couple of times to go, respect seems to be quite important to that person. Um, For someone else, it might be fairness. Um, For someone else, it might be, um, you know, community or togetherness. So it's different things to different people. But when we start to become aware of language that is used consistently over time, we can start to really understand more about the person. Yeah, actually, I thought it was going to be a complicated answer, but that's really actually quite simple, isn't it? Well, yeah. it, it does. I guess the hard part is that after you've asked the question, you actually have to be quiet long enough. And, and what I would say to any leader who is exploring doing this is if you ask someone what's important to you in the context of your career, the worst thing you can do is give suggestions. Mm. Yeah. And I think we struggle with that. I think we need to just be quiet and let the other person consider because what we do if we give suggestions is that we break concentration and the, the person we're talking to isn't actually able to go within themselves because values and beliefs are very, very unconscious. And so unless we give it some attention and time, we're probably not getting what we really, what we really believe anyway to the surface. Uh, we might just be defaulting to saying what's easiest and that's not what's best so the hard part is being quiet 
Yeah. And when it comes to forming opinions and um, observing what's happening in the workplace and coming up with theories around what this person said or what they meant by it, uh, what I found really interesting that you shared one time was about all the information that our brains actually take in. Um, Would you mind talking a little bit about that? Because I think it's so interesting, especially the way that we filter that information. Um, I'd be, yeah, be keen, yeah, keen for you to share that. Sure. So it's um, the, what I use is the neuro-linguistic programming model of communication, so NLP model of communication. And um, that is based around the theory that there's around 2 million bits of information presented to us at any, in any second. Um, and that the information is presented to us in uh, one of one of five ways, which are our senses. So what are we seeing, hearing, feeling, um, touching and tasting? And then also there's the what's the self-talk actually doing to that as well. Uh, and so of the two million bits of information being presented to us, we can only absorb around 134 bits per second. So there's a lot of information that is being presented to us that we're, we're just not taking in. Um, and we run we run filters which are based on our past experiences and also what we deem to be important to us. So a lot of alignment around values as well. Uh, And we delete information, we distort information and we generalize in order to make sense and filter out what are the things that we need to know. So, and then that's the, the filters that we run then help to form a perspective. And then the perspective is, uh, is how we then view the world. So, how we make sense of the world is very unique to us. Uh, what, we, what I'm filtering through this conversation and what you are right now is completely different. Um, and none of it is wrong and none of it is right. And, and so I think we can get into arguments around the way that things happened and what you should have picked up on because I said that uh, versus what you actually did pick up on. And, you know, thinking that people aren't listening or they're not paying attention uh, when actually they're, they may not be listening to what you're saying. They might be watching what they're say, what you're what you're doing, um, and and is that wrong? Maybe, maybe not. Um, and you know, are you paying attention to the right things versus not paying attention at all? So it's really complex. And when you start to kind of consider how we make sense of things, you really can't blame people for not picking up what you're putting down. Um, it's being able to adjust your approach to really help those to see what you're wanting them to see in a way that works for them. And one thing that uh, I picked up on when you were talking was about that negative self-talk because it comes up quite a lot in the conversations that I have with people. What's one of their... um, not weaknesses, but one thing that kind of holds them back quite a bit because they'll see something or they'll observe something and then they'll create a whole story around just this one thing that they've seen. And, and normally it's, it's negative and it, it goes against what they want to do or it holds them back. So do you have any advice on how to actually address that negative self-talk and distinguish, okay, this may be true or may not be true do you have tips on how to actually analyze that story that you're telling yourself yeah yeah so i have uh five questions around perspectives that i that i share and i've shared that in my book um and the leadership training 
program that I run. So it's looking at, it's really breaking it down into um, what actually happened in the event and not what I made it mean, but what actually happened. So person walked into the room, looked around the room, saw a seat, went and sat in that seat. Um, so very, very objective and specific. And then the second question is, what did I make that mean? And um, looking at well, what I made that mean is that they didn't want to sit with me because they looked at me and then they looked somewhere else and then they moved to the chair that was furthest from me. So I made that mean they don't like me. And then the third question is, um, what else could it mean? And this is a really important one because it gives people, this is where perspective opens up. And so you spend a lot of time kind of brainstorming, all right, what else could it mean? And not, oh, it wouldn't possibly mean that. Just go with what are all of the possibilities? And once you map it out, once you, once you write down all of the potential reasons why they didn't sit right beside you, um, it could be everything from, um, you know, I, I ate garlic for lunch and, and I know you like to talk to me, but I really don't want to talk to you because my breath smells, you know, being, being quite ridiculous about the the possibilities because all of them are potentially true um, and then the fourth question is so why am I making it mean the thing that I'm making it mean why am I making it mean that they don't like me um, and what I would come to in that scenario is well because I, I actually don't like myself right now so why would anyone like me and then you go all right well, what, what can you do with that information well, I can go learn to like myself because I've got to start with me. And so often what it does is it shifts the perspective or the focus and attention away from the other person and puts it back on me to go, what, what can I do? Um, and, and if I'm really curious about why they sat on the other side, I might ask them, hey, you know, the other day when you sat on the other side of the room and do you know what most of the time their response is? I didn't even see you. Mm. and you and you we can say well how, how did you not see me I was right there but we forget all the other information that they're taking in you know what are they what's the self-talk that's going on in their head are they are they physically in the room but mentally they're somewhere else because they've they've got things going on and you know how how often has have someone that you know been standing right in front of you and you haven't seen them because You've just been in a world of your own, caught up in your own stuff. And so when we start to do that, when we start to go through that exercise, it just reduces the emotion out of it and we can start to go, well, is this resourceful for me or is it not? And if it's not, then how can I change that? How can I change the story that I'm telling myself and the assumptions that I make so that I am more resourceful and can be more resourceful? Yeah, definitely. And it's something that I'm so guilty of as well. And it could be the smallest thing that you completely blow up. And honestly, those questions are so helpful, especially when you step back and just be like, what are the other million things that could have gone, you know, that could, that could be running through this person's head or that they could be doing. Um, so yes. I really, really like that one um, because it makes you just step back and realize actually this is just me creating all of these stories in my own head based on what and, may be happening to me before or what I believe. Yeah. And, and most of the time it is most of the time. And sometimes um, I think we feel guilty about the role that we've played in a relationship, but we, rather than going, I've been a shit friend, we look for 
they don't like me for whatever reason, um, which takes the control away from us as opposed to going, I really need to make more effort in this relationship and, and do something different. Yeah, definitely. And another, another thing that I think people struggle with, especially when they're going from an individual contributor to a leader, which is something that you're really passionate about and you speak a lot about, is having the conversations around accountability. So if someone isn't performing or they haven't done something, um, you know, to a certain standard, I think a lot of people moving into a leadership position have trouble having those conversations because they feel like it's a little bit confronting and they're not used to having those conversations. Do you, what are your thoughts around accountability and how would you um, advise someone to go about it if they're not used to really giving that feedback to their, to a team of people or to people, their peers as well? Uh, It's a question I am asked regularly and my answer is um, evolving and is shortening. So I can give you quite a succinct um, response to that. Accountability conversations are hard when you haven't got the commitment, specific commitment from the individual. Uh, And I think we don't spend enough time on gaining the specific commitment on things. And what that does is it makes accountability conversations hard because they're lined with assumptions and uh, hidden expectations. So I think if you want accountability conversations to be easier, then you need to spend more time on the commitment. And so, how do you, how do you, when you say um, getting commitment, getting that commitment, what does that look like in a conversation? So if we all know, for example, that we need to hit a target and we have sales sprints coming and everyone knows this, how do you get that individual commitment that's, that's specific? Yeah, well, so it starts with a one-on-one conversation. It's not definitely not done as a team because it's hard to gain individual commitment. You're wanting to hold individuals accountable and therefore you need to gain commitment individually as well. So it might be that you and I sit down and I say, so Sherry, what does success look like in this role for you? Uh, and, you know, you might say, well, I've got to do this, this and this. And you go, okay, great. So how do you feel about doing that? Uh, do you feel confident that you will be able to and what will that involve from you? And so it's a bit of a conversation to explore your understanding of what's expected rather than me just preaching to you what, what I believe you should do and reeling off a set of KPIs or objectives, etc. cetera. Uh, and then the conversation would go, so do you have any concerns around meeting those targets? Are you confident that you can meet a, B and C by this date and what does that look like? I think we don't spend enough time doing that. I think there's an automatic expectation that you'll just get on and do it, um, but we don't talk about it. And so when we sit down and talk about that, uh, then you've committed. I'm like, okay, so just to confirm, you are completely confident that you can achieve this by this date and that if you don't complete that by that date, you and I will have another conversation. Yeah. Uh, and, and I could, and I could talk to you at that point around, uh, you know, our next conversation, I'll be asking you specifics on how you did 
and whether you met that or didn't meet that. And so it's just, this is where I think we need to bring in that authenticity from each leader around how does that conversation take place and making it friendly and warm and not rigid and, you know, awkward. Um, <laughs> yeah. Which I think that we can do. It's like, okay, this is a serious discussion, but realistically we don't learn when our stress levels are elevated. We need to feel relaxed in our environment to sort of take things on. So I think gaining commitment up front um, is, is really important. Mm, I like those questions. And I think if you're consistently asking things like that, it normalizes the conversation as well. It's not a thing that you do once in a blue moon. It's conversations that you're having all the time. Um, and it also gives a leader the ability to remove obstacles if there are things that are coming up in that discussion rather than waiting till the end of the fortnight to, to find out about all of these challenges that you yeah. could have helped with. So I really like mm. those tips. Um, so going into maybe some of your own challenges, um, ones that maybe you're working through now or you feel like you've overcome. And the reason why I like asking this question is just to show that we're all human and um, even though a lot of people, you know, are quite successful doing their own thing, they've obviously gone through some things and they've, and they've learnt a few lessons. So um, if you're open to it, if you could share what some of those things are and, and how you've tackled them. Yeah, so I was pondering that last night and I thought, what's the thing that most annoys me about me right now? Because I think that um, (laughs) is a good place to start. Um, And so, and particularly because I believe in, like I believe in alignment. I believe what we say should be what we do and all of that kind of thing. So I, I struggle with advice. So I am constantly saying to people, don't give advice where you haven't asked permission to give it and um, don't, don't give advice um, where the other person's not in a place, the right place to, in fact, why do we give advice? And then I give advice. So Mm. I'm this walking contradiction. And so I think one of the messages about not giving advice is that I'm constantly giving that to myself. So my advice is not to give advice. Uh, and definitely not to give advice where people haven't asked for it. So if someone asks for advice, then sure, um, you, you can give it. But giving people advice assumes that you know exactly what's going on in their life. And we just don't. We only know snippets. And while we might have had a situation that was similar in the past, how we dealt with it and what the right way for them to deal with it will be completely different. And so I find advice to be relatively unhelpful. And can also put pressure on people to then go and take it. So, and I think some people get offended when they give advice and the other person doesn't take it. Um, so I, I'm trying to figure out what my triggers are, but there are some, there are some situations where something triggers me and I just go all in on the advice and you need to do this and you need to do that. And I'm really passionate about what I'm saying and, and all of that kind of thing. And then, and I don't stop. It's like, I'm like, I'm caught in this, almost this like hold that is this external force of energy that I can't stop and don't have control over. And then I'll walk away from the conversation and I go, you idiot. Like, seriously, Shelly, who do you think you are? Did you, did, are you right there? Are you sure you paid out enough, you know, advice that, they didn't ask for, they probably don't need. And then 
I end up sending an apology. Oh my gosh, I totally went into advice mode. I didn't, I don't know how that happened. <laughs> and, and so a lot of people could be hearing this thinking that um, giving advice is a great thing. You're helping, you're sharing, you know, what's happened to you. So how do you feel when people give you advice, say about your business? So, oh, Shelley, you should do this with your business. You should do that. You know, why are you doing this? Have you thought about that? So when people yeah. are giving you that advice, what, yes. what do you feel? What are you feeling? Because obviously that person is sharing, like you said, with excitement, with enthusiasm. They're in this zone where they've got all this stuff to share with you. How does that make you feel? I'm okay with it now. I think mm. um, in the past I've taken advice on board and applied it and it has led to some pretty bad situations so I'm very conscious of that I also understand that people are coming from a good place when they're giving the advice Mm. so I humbly accept it I think for me it is when someone's giving me advice it's insight it's more insight into who they are and what they how they're seeing my life through their eyes so it's it's good for me to be able to see their perspective so i don't it doesn't it doesn't bother me anymore i think there was a point where it probably did and and that advice that i'd taken on i then wanted to blame that person for giving me that advice because it wasn't right for me etc um but now i'm now i'm humble like i'm i'm appreciative that someone has taken the time to give me advice i think what i'm what i also am is i'm really comfortable with my own boundaries and that when someone gives me advice the next step to that is saying is that can I apply that or can I store that for another time and a lot of the time I store it yeah Yeah. I really like that approach um yeah and I think I I really like that one because I think especially doing something outside of your day-to-day so if someone's maybe got a full-time job and they're starting something on the side or um, if they've just started their own business or something like that I think it's really applicable because you are you become kind of more when you're in a corporate environment this is my perspective anyway I feel like you take on advice and action advice a lot more than how you assess it when you're out doing something on your own um that and that's just my experience Mm. because when you're when you're in that that team environment you're continuously taking on what others are saying and building up on what what an idea has become but when you're out and you're solo or you've got maybe a smaller team Mm. they don't know the strategy like they did when you're working together your strategy could be completely different and completely misaligned to what they think it is so um Mm. yeah that's an interesting one no one's shared that before um and I think the other things to go with that is I I think it's really important for people to share experiences Mm. and and I would encourage people to share experiences where others are open to hearing that and there's a subtle difference between experience versus advice even though the message and the takeaway could be similar So advice is, I think you should, or why not, or have you tried? Experiences are, I actually had an experience that was similar to that. And this is what the, this is what happened in my experience. And this is what I learned from that. So yeah, just offering that. 
Yeah, yeah. I like that. Yep. And on the flip side, what are you really proud of? And it could be anything in your life, really. But it's yeah. a nice way to balance out the, the challenges yeah. in life. <laughs> uh, well, I'm, I'm actually proud of my challenges. Um, the fact that I've acknowledged them and that they're work in progress. Um, I, For sure. I, um, I mentor, uh, every year I mentor someone from um, the University of Melbourne, part of their um, business mentoring program and I do that pro bono and I really love to work with students and um, there's one one student um, uh, last year that I was working with that I've continued to stay in touch with and one of the things that she said to me really it made me smile and actually made me really proud she said Shelley before I met you I I thought I needed to make a choice in my life I thought I needed to either choose to be a career woman or that I needed to choose to be a family woman or that I needed to choose to be an adventure woman. And she said, I thought I needed to make a decision on one of those things. And then I met you and you do all three. Mm, yeah. So I no longer have that belief that I need to choose. I now see that you do all three of those things. And so I think I was, I was really kind of blown away by that perception that she has, but I'm also really proud to own that and go, I, I do, I've got, I've got all of it and it's, I've got a really busy life. Um, but I always make time for adventure and I always make time for my family and I always make time to do the things that I love. And so I'm proud of that. And I'd love to be able to teach my kids to do that as well. Yeah, I feel like you need to write a whole other book just on how you manage that time because so many people would be thinking, how do you actually do that? How does someone have this career where obviously you're so busy, you have to travel for your career, you've got three kids, um, you're married, you, you, know, you lead a really busy life. So, yeah, I, actually a question on that is how do you have this energy to do these things. So if you're, if it's something adventurous that you're going to do every weekend or every other weekend or play with your kids or have fun with them, go out with them, how do you actually have that energy at the end of the week or at the end of the work day? What do you do to keep up with that? Or is it just in your personality? Uh, no. Um, so I went through, I went through a stage where I was tired all the time and that was my, Hey Shelly, how are you? I'm tired. And um, I had a girl that used to work for me in my team. And this is where I was getting leadership right. So I had people in my team who were more than willing to give me feedback on some of of my blind spots. Um, And her name was Elle. And Elle was amazing in my team. She said, I I said to her one day that I was tired. And she said, that's interesting. Um, So why are you choosing to be tired? (laughs) And I I was like, what do you mean choosing? I'm not choosing. I just am. And she reframed the whole concept of energy for me. Um, She talked about physical energy versus mental energy and asked me whether I was physically tired. And I said, well, no, it's Monday morning and I had a good night's sleep last night. So I'm not physically tired. I am mentally tired. And she said, okay, so where are you getting your energy from? And, and it's something that I've taken with me for, for the last 
um, probably 10 years ago is when I got that, um, when I had that conversation is a lot of it is in, in my mind. A lot of it is, um, am I, am I really, am I really tired? Um, and also looking at what, do, what am I doing throughout my day that is giving me energy back versus what am I doing throughout the day that actually takes energy? So for me, and I think it's personal for everyone is I get energy back being around people and talking about things that I'm passionate about. I get energy from being with my kids and, and having fun. Um, I get energy from um, riding my motorbike and, and working on the farm with my dad and, and being outdoors. So I know what, gives me energy back and I make sure that I have a good balance of that so that at the end of the week, uh, well, physically I might be a little bit tired. That's fine because eight hours sleep will solve that. Um, is that mentally I'm okay to keep going. Yeah. I really like that one actually. Cause I really do believe that, that there are things that really deplete your energy and they're not physical. They're just things that you might not enjoy or maybe negative negative people or it could be so many different things so that's a really really good one um so you've written a whole book on leadership the dynamic leader yes when it comes to the a great great leader for someone who got who would pick up your book how would you describe what the dynamic leader is what is a great leader to you so a great leader is a leader who can combine good relationships good trusting authentic solid relationships that harbor trust with the ability to deliver results in a timely manner through your people and in a way that is smart not hard and so they're sort of the two ends of investing in relationships and influencing results and in the middle is what I call the bridge between the two which is inspiring respect and that is a great leader will listen and be curious and be courageous to take on board other people's feedback and perspectives over their own and they will be adaptable and they will encourage healthy conflict or healthy debate if you don't like the word conflict so they uh they know that uh a calm peaceful happy team is not what will get them to um, th their future successes that they require a little bit of disruption and innovation and challenging of thinking and um, you know feedback on ideas and, and openness and I think it's really that respect component that brings the two together. So that's essentially what the book is written around, albeit there's a whole lot more words. Than what and I that, insp <laughs> that inspiring respect, I know there's a, there's a whole section in the book as well, um, but how would you sum up inspiring respect? Because that's the first time I've actually heard someone talk about respect in that way. Hmm. Uh, well, I think that uh, we are no longer in an environment where respect is given based on age, status, gender, uh, position. I think that we can be disrespectful to some of the people in the highest powered <laughs> positions. Take a look at um, our politicians, mm. um, <laughs> yes. politicians across yeah. the world, like world leaders. Um, I think that respect is, must be earned and must be, um, must be nurtured over time. Uh, and 
absolutely I'm seeing that with um, younger generations is that I don't need to respect you because you're my elder. I will respect you when you give me the respect that I deserve. And if you treat me a certain way, then I may or may not respect you because of that. Um, I think that the, I think respect is really based around our ability to appreciate the differences between different people uh, and be quiet enough to hear what other people have to say. I think that's, that's the, the backbone of respect is just stop and listen to someone else for a minute. I love that. Cause when I think about, as you were describing that, I was thinking about the people who do that really, really well. And when you look at them, they are really respected. They listen, they care about all the individuals. They're not biased towards one person or another for any reason. Um, so yeah, that's a really, really good way to describe it. So linking in with workplace culture, leadership to me, I think if I'm in a role with a really great leader, that's almost probably 80 or 90% of workplace culture because it makes you, a leader can actually affect how you feel on a day-to-day basis by what they say, how they behave, how they treat you. Um, and so I think it makes up a huge part of what workplace culture looks like to individuals uh, from your perspective and also from your experience what um what do you what else do you think makes up workplace culture and how do you think it evolves and how, how would you define it uh, well based on pretty much what you've spoken about is how i would sum it up i would say what are you saying um, versus what are you doing and how aligned are those two things and Um, finally who are you being so I think you can say things and do things but I think who you are who you bring to your role who you bring to the workplace um, I think that is a a key definer of culture so if you don't particularly like people and you're a subject matter expert and you're not willing to be a different person in that environment then your culture will reflect that the the person that you bring Um, I think the strongest state in an in a team or environment will dictate the culture so you know if you've got strong personalities and and people who are really outspoken or ideas that are that are very strong um, and that influence different people I think that that can definitely have an impact on um, culture Uh, I think that leaders are responsible for um, molding culture in in a particular way I think that a lot of leaders are not persistent and patient enough to really work on that. So I offered everyone chocolate or pizzas for lunch and it was my attempt to change the culture and nothing happened. So I'm not going to do anything. I'm resigned to the fact that culture can't change. And so I think leaders need to be a, a lot more persistent and patient when it comes to actually forming the culture and that it's not so much around what they're doing Um, while that's important, it's more around who they are being and what they want others to be. And so if you've got a culture that is um, not what you want it to be, the first place I would look is in the mirror. Yeah, I love that. I think um, being congruent, so if you're saying something and you're not doing it, it, even if you think that people aren't noticing, that it just comes through, it's so obvious, especially as a leader when you're, saying something out loud to a team or you know to a group of people people will 
definitely remember what you said, what your commitment was. And if you don't follow up with that, um, yeah, culture is definitely affected. Um, Yeah, absolutely. um, And so what are some of the little things that you have done, whether it be for workplace culture or whether it be in your life that you feel have made a really um, positive difference, positive difference? So um, it can be, it can be anything. Uh, so, and some of these are still works in progress. So, um, one of the, one of the things that I have been really disciplined in doing is not taking over conversations with, oh my gosh, that happened to me. And this is what happened and railroading conversations. It's really annoying. Um, and I like to think that I've reduced the amount of time that I, Um, spend doing that it means that I walk away from conversations having not said what I think or what I feel or shared my experience and that does have a little bit of a hit to the ego but um, it's so much better for the relationship when you don't say anything Um, so a lot of the times I'll have ideas and thoughts and experiences and they're never shared uh, and that's okay so it's kind of being okay with not having to share everything that's going on in our in our minds Um, I think that um, listening is something that I continue to improve on. So um, being able to be fully present while I'm listening and not be thinking about what's my response and um, how does that apply to me, but more how are you making that mean that? And that's really interesting. Tell me more. Um, and giving them the space, so giving them other people the platform to, to talk. Um, they find it quite rewarding and I actually find it quite uh, intriguing and insightful that I learn things about people uh, all the time another little thing that I have stopped doing is gossip although gossip is probably quite a big thing I hate gossip um it's similar to giving similar to giving advice is you know my moments of weakness where I engage in gossip I feel dirty I feel absolutely awful when I walk away um and I wonder why on earth I I engaged and and you know I I just don't know that there's a good place for it outside of ratings for reality TV shows. I just, and even then I think, gosh, there are people at the other end of that. Are we really doing that? Um, and so I've, I've reduced the amount of reality TV I watch. Um, <laughs> it's probably influencing. <laughs> the cost Terrible. Of yeah. Um, and, and probably the other thing um, that has been, it's a little thing, but it's something that I've learned to do is to say, sorry. Yeah. Um, they're really they're really really good ones um especially the I think especially the gossiping one as well because a lot of the time you can be the person who's receiving the information from the other person as well so Mm. kind of it's kind of you have to actually be like okay I actually don't want to talk I don't want to talk about this person in this way or you have to end that conversation otherwise you do get sucked into that cycle oh I'm I'm the disruptor of the conversation conversations I will actually go really do do you really think they meant that like I I actually think that they probably meant this and it's amazing how often the group pauses for mm, an awkward silence and then someone goes I think you might be right actually and then the whole conversation changes and Ah. rather than it turns into more of a yeah more of a yeah that's actually a nice way to change it up um yeah 
And so the last question I like asking is about heroes. So who, who are your heroes and why are they, why are they your heroes? Yeah. So I, I have a family of heroes. Oh, I love that. <laughs> yeah. So um, my mum and my dad are definitely up there. They, um, they made, they made, they made things work when we were younger and they absolutely did the best that they could with what they had, which was not much at the time. Um, they both taught me about hard work and um, but also taught me about fairness and treating people well. Um, my mum is probably the most forgiving person I know. And my dad is probably the most respectful. So he, he never gossips. Um, he doesn't engage. He doesn't indulge in anything like that. And I think, he does that really well. Um, I have an older sister um, who uh, taught me the power or the value of investing in myself. So she had, she had a coach when I first moved to Melbourne to live with her when I was um, 18. And uh, I remember, I remember saying to her, what on earth are you wasting your money on that for? Um, (laughs) Look at you you now. (laughs) (laughs) I know. So, so she's, she's a really big role model in my life and, and I still get a lot of ideas and input off her. Um, my younger sister um, taught me, she's a bit of a hero because she taught me that um, money can actually go a lot further than what we think it can if we just focus a little bit more on it. So she's very, she's very, very good with finances and seems to be able to make a whole lot of things happen out of not much at all. So she, she actually was the when I went out on my own and I thought, Oh my gosh, how could I survive on this? Mm. She was the one I would think of to go, if she can make that go that far, I can too. And so she was a lot of the confidence that um, I needed at that stage. Um, and my brother is a bit of a hero to me because he, he doesn't particularly care what other people think of him and he doesn't, he's not particularly interested in whether people think he'll succeed or fail. He just gets on with it. And he has this uncanny knack of finding gaps in and opportunities that he then goes all in with and exploits and makes, makes gold out of. Um, And so I feel incredibly lucky to be part of the family that I'm in because they all give me, they all give me, different things and and every single one of them have been a a huge influence and probably without knowing it but a huge influence on how I operate uh, my business and the success of where I am today yeah for sure I mean the people that you that you grow up with that you spend most of your time with have that have that impact on you you don't even realize probably until later on when you're reflecting back on who they are and what they're all about yeah well thank you thank you so much for answering all of those questions and giving your time to us. It's really appreciated. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it too. And I will um, put the link to your book as well in the show notes so people can go out and check it out. Perfect. I love that. Thank you. That's awesome. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you for listening into this episode with Shelley. As you can tell, she is a down-to-earth, fun and authentic person and it meant so much to me that she shared her story and her transition into small business in such an open and honest way. 
The lessons she shared with us are invaluable, and I hope you've been able to take something from it that you can apply in your own life. If you love this episode, please share it with others and let us know what insights you gained from this episode. I love to hear them. Thank you. Thanks for taking the time to listen to this episode of Behind the Bee Box. My journey with Brainy Box has inspired me to share what I've learned from others with you in the hope it makes a positive difference to your life, business, or workplace. Your feedback and love is what keeps me going. So please follow us on Instagram and LinkedIn at Brainy Box or connect with me on LinkedIn at Sherry Amami. If you haven't yet, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Have a wonderful week and I'll speak to you soon.